0: Welcome to the talent development hot seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am excited that you're joining me today for an interview with my new friend, Tevis Trower, who is making funny faces at me right now. And Tevis believes in humanizing the work experience. She's been heralded in uh, best selling Megatrends 2010 as corporate mindfulness guru for the new millennium. Tevis has assisted powerful organizations ranging from Disney to Morgan Stanley in optimizing their most precious assets human beings. She has created and facilitated global executive immersions for prestigious organizations, including Harvard Business Review, Young Presidents Organization, PwC, Bloomberg, Viacom, Google, and so many others in all kinds of areas like executive lifestyle, personal mastery, innovation, and the role of consciousness in creating radical success. And I know there are so many things that we are going to talk about in those areas today. Travis, welcome to the Talent Development Seat.
1: Oh my god, Andy, that is like a buzzword...
0: Burger. <laughs> Buzzword, burger. i never heard of that. But you know, yes. you get to call people out. So some people I get on with and I'm like, okay, I'm trying to get to know you a little bit. Let's start the interview. We're hitting it off right away. And you're just hitting you with so much value. And I keep going, we need to start recording. So we're recording now. And you're making funny faces, which is good because this is going to be on YouTube also, just so you know. And I'm excited to bring some value to our audience because you've got some very interesting experience. We're going to talk about trust. We're going to talk about corporate psychopathy, right? And we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. We're going to talk about mindfulness. We're going to talk about a lot of interesting stuff. Before we do, it might be good to start with a little bit of background. Who are you and how did you get to where we are today?
1: That's like the existential question, right?
0: That's right. And you get to decide how you answer that question.
1: Well, nine times out of ten when I hear a podcast and someone asks that, the person being asked that says, well, it's a funny story, right? (laughs) It's kind of funny
0: how I ended up where I am today. I woke up this morning.
1: (laughs) Because it always always is a funny story because we never end up where we think we're going to. Okay, so long story short, parents were hippies. My dad was a Montessori teacher. My mom was kind of a mystic. And Grew up in a pretty expansive upbringing, like lots of granola stuff, going to a commune, volunteer work, you know, people of all kinds of faiths coming to our house for dinner and blah, 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 blah. Typical
0: hippie granola upbringing.
1: <laughs> and I was the Alex P. Keaton of the family. I went to business school, right, which probably shocked everyone, me included. I've been in the army. I'm a beauty school dropout. You name it, kind of thing. But the thread through all of this that is really a constant is I have always been interested in what is the experience that we have of being alive, and how do our choices and the choices of others around us, so both our intrinsic drive and the extrinsic factors, how do they converge, and what's the outcome of that picture? So went to business school, worked in a bunch of Fortune 500s, and just had this awesome complete of experiences where I could see from person to person and situation to situation, like, is this working? And I was working at AOL Time Warner, and this is a different angle on the story than what I usually tell.
0: Yeah, that's what we want. We want the exclusive
1: this this is the exclusive scoop only here on the Talent Development Hot right. Seat. <laughs> but I was working at Time Warner, and I was a VP and working hard, right? Because we were in AOL, and we had been acquired, Well, we had bought Time Warner, and there was a lot of scrutiny about the deals. That kind work, this convergence thing, right? Of course, I was like, duh. But working really hard. And one thing I noticed is when. I would be going home at the end of the day and a cleaning lady or man, but usually a lady would get on the elevator. They would make eye contact and say hello and ask me how my day was. And when the C-suite would get on the elevator, they would stare at the wall.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Yep. And that along with just a zillion, that's kind of a metaphor for what I started to ask myself, like, what is it? that makes us afraid of each other at work? What is it that makes us drop our humanity? What is it that makes us not acknowledge that someone within two feet of us who we are in a concerted effort to produce value for the world and make money for shareholders, what is it that makes that all fall to the wayside and we think that we can't say hello, right? And that really becomes an operative truth, because how we do anything, as they say, is how we do everything. And so I started to wonder, what is it in us that as we ascend the ladder to have greater influence and more power and more responsibility, that we lose pieces of ourselves along the way? And does that actually serve our ability to do what we've aspired towards? And so long story short, couple months later, I decided to quit my job. Two planes, the planes flew into two buildings that morning, kind of underscoring. Mm. Minus, and so fast forward. How many years? I don't know. that was 2001. I found the company in 2002, and we just grew extremely organically and basically through having a lot of conversations like this, a lot of really heartfelt conversations with leaders who knew that they had problems on their teams. They had problems getting things done, and voila, I'm on YouTube with you right now.
0: (laughs) If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world, and things are changing so fast. It's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. You know, what you said certainly resonated. I mean, I worked in corporate America, and now I am a consultant working with large corporations, and I get in those elevators. and. And I don't think it's necessarily just executives or just corporate. I mean, people do find it awkward when they're in a confined situation with people they don't know, right? But there is a lot of truth to in a lot of times in big companies, people build walls around themselves or don't feel like they can really be themselves or be friends, personal friends. I think that's changing a lot, but be personal friends with their coworkers. Maybe they can't show up to work with uh, blue paint in their beard like I have today. For those watching on video, uh, yes, it is a blue beard because my daughter painted my face <laughs> last night, <laughs> excuse me, and it's still there. And now Tevis is wearing uh, a blue post-it note over her face as well. So thank you. You're making me feel better.
1: I want to be a blue beard like you. <laughs>
0: you feel more accepted. Um, so I imagine you've looked into why this is and why people shut themselves off and what, what drives that?
1: Well, too, I, I want to acknowledge the clarification that you offered. I'm using that as a metaphor, right? Yeah. Not, not as like, oh, fire them, right? So studies on creativity. I um, studied with Michael Ray at Stanford University. He was the marketing chair professor at the School of Business there. And he was really interested in what he was calling at the time creativity, Right. Creativity, meaning authentic expression, the ability to express ideas that are outside of the expected, and then create a business around them and create solutions around them. But what he wanted to get at was what is that inside of us that gives us courage to be a creator, right? Narcissism aside, right? Because we could point at a Steve Jobs or an Elon Musk or any of that and say, well, it's kind of got a downside too, but... What is it that gives us courage to create from that place? And I would argue that it's a really slippery slope because creativity studies have shown that at our creative peak is really around two years old, right? That's when we're going to grab a phone receiver or like this and try to use it as a hammer because we don't know not to, Right. right? we're going to make stupid sound stupid see see that was a judgment weird sounds coming out of our mouth just because it feels good yeah. right we're going to whatever we're going to put a peanut butter all over our kid brother because it seems like a funny idea right or paint so, your dad's face yes yeah,
0: so, a bunch of blue paint in his beard
1: At yoga class with dad right that's right So the slope from there is really an acculturation process where we suppress, 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 and we start to edit. Like, how am I gonna get approval? How do I get approval? How do I stay safe? And this whole process of that from our toddlerhood into corporate America, which is what you and I are curious about, is just a continual self-refinement. How do I stay safe? What is gonna keep me secure and in alignment with whatever power structures there are, and hopefully in possession of power that will ensure my safety. And that editing process, it's kind of interesting, because you and I have probably both coached a lot of high performers, right? That editing process is part of the same engine that drives us to succeed, Mm -hmm. that, that drives us to say, I know that there's a world that involves checking X, Y, and Z boxes, and going to, you know, this school, and learning that, and blah, 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 and I want to be a part of that, right, and it's the very same engine that has us aspire to complete those boxes, as has us start to edit ourselves, because we don't want anything to threaten the boxes that we've managed to check, so oftentimes, it actually is the most successful people that have been the most assiduous in editing along the way.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and that goes back to conformity, right? You know, we had to be a certain way to conform or be accepted by a group. And I'm sure that goes back hundreds of years, thousands of years to the way civilization was formed. I mean, you, you needed to conform to your group and be accepted by your tribe because if you got thrown out, then you were probably going to die. Uh, But now, then you get rise to, you know, the 19th or 20th century in corporate America, and you need to conform to the rules of the corporation, or you might get fired and not have a job. But I feel like that's changing now, right? I mean, more companies are, diversity and inclusion is a big deal. Companies are seemingly more acceptable, accepting of people being themselves, and not everybody has to wear a blue shirt and a red tie or whatever it is.
1: Or have a blue beard.
0: Or have a blue beard.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think that there's a lot of push towards that. And I think that we can thank both the genesis of technology allowing us to capture how people feel through all the measurement tools that have emerged. I think it's also thanks to the Xers and now the millennials, I'm starting to say, well, why does it matter if my beard is blue?
0: Right. <laughs> right, I'm getting the work done.
1: Yeah, I'm getting my work done, and I do a great job. So, and then all the transparency through social media about what it's really like work in a culture. I mean, the talk now is not just about millennials expecting a human culture, but actually boards applying scrutiny to what the human metrics are as a way of guiding the organization. Like, it's not a luxury consideration anymore. This is how you get business done is through people who feel safe to contribute, period. It's kind of funny though, because something that you said about how this is changing, right? And I want to speak to that. I just, I moderated a panel on trust. The trust barometer is a study that's completed every year by Edelman, the huge PR firm. And it's been going on, I think, for 17 years now. I forget. I have to fact check that. But it's gone on for a while. And every year, they present it at the World Economic Forum in Davos. And my friend, Tonya Reese, is, is the keeper of it. And she and I started talking like three years ago. And she said, well, the data is really shifting. And it's shifting in complete alignment with what you do. And she pointed at me. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, We're starting to see for the first time that employees trust their employer more than they trust any other power vertical on the planet. So more than politicians, obviously, more than media, more than the church, and more than businesses. Now, this is funny because the differentiation started to be between how I feel about my employer and how I feel about companies in general. And so there's an increasing skew towards if I have a relationship with this company, then I actually believe in them more. And so, so Edelman starts to see this and they go, oh my God, oh my God, we got to dive into this. And so this last year's uh, study actually focused exclusively on the employer-employee relationship Now, what came up is not going to be a surprise to people like you and I, right? It said employees want leaders who are socially involved in causes that will either hurt or benefit their employees. So global warming, sustainability, social rights, the list goes on and on and on. But that they also want transparency and vulnerability in their leadership. They want to see people who sweat. They want to see people who have fear. They want to see people who are vulnerable and authentic and aren't all polished and aren't all perfect and haven't amputated every part of their human selves because Mm -hmm. they're trying to be so glib and so, I guess, 3D photoshopped and everything that they do. And so these findings made me super excited.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about that as well. I've talked about this in the past and I, I think I was maybe going more on a hunch than a full research study like what you're citing. But I've said many times that I think one of the top things that people look for in leaders these days is authenticity and vulnerability. And it's it's very hard to do because vulnerability, you know, people connect that with weakness. If I talk about what I'm scared of or I'm challenged with, then people will think I'm weak and then they'll think I'm not qualified and then, you know, I'll lose my job. You know, the smart ones realize that when you're willing to show some vulnerability and be completely authentic about how you think and feel and what you might be afraid of, that's how we really connect with each other. That's how you build rapport. And that's how you build trust, like you talked about. So I talk about a lot of time, I try to use that myself, I can still get better. And it's interesting. I'm starting to hear and see that some companies are embracing that a little bit, but that's still not very widespread.
1: Well, let's let's pause on that, because I think that all of us, anyone hearing this could say, yeah, that's a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Like anyone can do it. The panel that I most recently led that started this portion of our conversation, one of the, the CHROs for one of the eight gazillion companies by Mercer, Marsh, McLennan. Why is that such a tongue twister? But one of the countless CHROs, who's super cool, and I I won't use her name because I don't know if she wants to be quoted, but anonymously quoting one of the many CHROs, she said to me, yeah, she's like, everyone's on board, heads are nodding. But when it comes to investing time Mm -hmm. and energy and risking emotional security, self-inquiry into skills acquisition... Into authentic feedback of what we have to change with this kind of lifelong learning commitment, that that's where it really falls apart. Like everyone thinks it's a great idea; they just right. think it's a great idea for everyone for else
0: other, for other people, right? To yeah. to
1: deal with right, and that's what I'm on the. I don't know and where maybe? have
0: you have you worked with any companies that are you've seen doing this well already? Are you seeing as you go out? What are you seeing as the biggest mistakes that companies are making that are not to cause their people to be disconnected and not trust their leaders?
1: Okay, a couple of things. I think delegating this responsibility to someone who is not truly empowered. I think a lot of times we're hiring someone. It's usually some girl and she's like 50. She's not a girl. She's a woman, right? But we hire someone to deal with um, learning and development or executive something or employee engagement and we're shoving it down the organization, right? And really, the problem is generally not because that manager, Bob, or whoever doesn't want to love their job. Like who doesn't want to like their job when they get out of bed every day? Like that's, duh. The problem is usually leadership engagement and leadership alignment. And so...
0: Yeah, they're not doing it. They're not about it.
1: Yeah. The notion that we can just outsource the issue to someone who is in any way subordinate to any of those people on the C-suite and have anything good happen is just, it's absurd.
0: Yeah. It's got to start from the top. I mean, anything culture related has to start from the top. They've got to be bought in, living the culture, setting the example, practicing what they preach can't outsource that stuff. Just like innovation. I talk about innovation all the time. Gone are the days where you could have an innovation department and hope ideas come out of that. Ideas are going to come from anywhere, everywhere. And if your corporate leadership is not supporting that by embracing it, by letting people try new things and not making them afraid of failure, then you're not going to have an innovative culture and you're not going to have an innovative company. You're going to be disrupted. Same thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: So you mentioned... So this is the trust barometer. And companies. I know there are more and more people that are working with companies to help them build up trust. And I think a lot of it has to do with this authenticity and vulnerability. I mean, we don't see that very much from our politicians, the churches, you know, we won't get into religion, but I think a lot of religious institutions have had a major problem with this and that's why maybe the the trust is not as high. So they want to see that with their their corporate leaders. You mentioned you were going to talk about corporate psychopathy as well and I've never heard of this. So fill me in.
1: I'm kind of all over it. You um, said that you love to get on a podcast. Be like, what have you been thinking about lately? Well, I've been yeah. thinking about psychopathy, psychopathy. I don't know. And someone mentioned to me that a guy named Dr. Richard Hare had created an index that people can take to identify themselves as being a psychopath or not. Now, the propensity for someone who is authentically a psychopath to answer those questions honestly or with any sense of transparency or vulnerability, I doubt. But the whole idea that there are specific behaviors that you can point to and say, yes, that's an attribute of people who are psychopathic. Anyway, back in 2016, there was really a push around this index existing because a couple studies had been completed that showed that amongst the general population, the incidence of psychopathy is about 1%. So one out of every 100 people is a psychopath. They completed the same study in corporations amongst, I think, 216 executives across the U.S., and the incidence was 3%.
0: So three times as high.
1: Yeah, so three times as high. But more recent studies with a more stringent criteria have shown actually, that the incidence of psychopathic behavior in corporate America is actually closer to 21 percent.
0: 21 percent? Really?
1: Yeah. So you can Google this. You can find anything on the Google. This isn't my research. I just, so because I'm a student and I like to watch what's going on and see what people are talking about, I start really thinking about that. And I think that fundamentally what we're talking about is we're talking about that imposter syndrome. We're talking about that editing process that by the time we end up in a C or SVP or other hugely empowered role, we have so edited our personality to conform and Mm. to keep ourselves safe.
0: (laughs) Yeah. To conform and protect ourselves.
1: That we no longer even function from a standpoint of compassion towards ourselves and probably towards anyone else. The coaching that we've done with high performers has really borne out that a lot of times the reason high performers are working themselves into burnout is out of fear that if they practice even a modicum of self-care, that they will be judged and they will lose standing within the organization. Even in organizations that invest mightily in these things and that have health code, you know, blah, 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 blah. They're like, that's for all those people.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. All these wellness programs and everything. exercise, mindfulness, all that stuff. That's for other people. I I talk about that sometimes. Probably not enough because I meditate and practice yoga regularly. I know you're a yoga instructor as well. I think I saw that on your LinkedIn. Don't tell anybody. Sorry. Secrets out.
1: This makes me one of everybody. Everyone's a freaking yoga teacher.
0: You know what? I said as well, I'm not a yoga teacher. I do a lot of yoga. I practice yoga. I go to yoga classes. I am not Someone just said to me today in like a, a social media comment you should become a yoga instructor I'm like look I've got enough things that I'm certified to facilitate right now I just want to enjoy myself and relax at yoga class but the point is that I think a lot of people who are not normally exposed to those type of things think oh meditation is for you know buddhist monks on top of a mountain it's not for a corporate executive like me and I think nothing could be further from the truth in fact it is made for you. There's no one that could benefit more than someone who is faced with constantly stressful situations like what happens for an executive in a corporate workplace, especially in a professional services firm. So I meditate daily. I'm, in fact, as of today, 800 days in a row. And yeah, and that, I attribute that to much of my happiness and fulfillment and success and mindfulness. And I think it can help so many people if they're willing to push past the, oh, this is for other people and I'm afraid of judgment and embrace it and it could help them become even more successful. And I think more people are, right? But there's still that stigma.
1: Yeah, I do. I think the classic thing that the people who need it most are the least likely to reach for it.
0: Yeah, like coaching.
1: Yeah. Which going back to things that corporations can do to avert the impact of Toxic leadership, a lot of it really boils down to are you recruiting people who can demonstrate a commitment to development of themselves, right? To lifelong learning, to asking hard questions and to getting help, right? Because none of us is truly self-made. But the thing you're saying about look, I've taught meditation for twenty years and if I had a penny for every time someone said, oh, I can't do that. My mind's too busy. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. like That's why it exists. The other thing that I think is really important to bear in mind is it's our past fail, our propensity towards past fail that makes us struggle with meditation. And past fail is pretty much how we approach life.
0: Yeah. Fixed mindset, either good at it or not.
1: So if we can set pass fail aside and allow ourselves the possibility that your mind churning constantly is actually not your optimal state, you can really make some headway, no pun intended, on creating a counterbalance to what's otherwise a pretty crazy world. People get afraid too. Well, if I'm not thinking all the time, something bad could happen, right? And you both know that if you're thinking all the time, you're probably not present to what actually is happening.
0: That's right. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting companies with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. We're also providing tons of great content on a weekly basis. In fact, we recently launched a great webinar series that has been going on weekly with content such as Creating a Culture of Multipliers, Gender Equity, Liz Weissman's webinar on Helping Rid the World of Bad Bosses. We have a new webinar from Brent Snow on Decision Making. We have a webinar on multipliers and how to use multipliers during troubled times, Calming the storm. We have a webinar from our partner, Julie Winkle Giulione, on developing in place, how to continue your growth during remote working, and a webinar from Paul Middleton on the secret sauce for learning in the flow of work, plus many more. Just head to our website at AdvantagePerformance.com, click on free resources, and you'll find the link to webinars and all of our other insights and resources there. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. Okay, so I want to get practical because we're talking about. We're talking about some cool stuff here and for people listening or thinking, okay, I see some of this in my company. This is happening. I have executives who are you know, stressed all the time, you know, potentially burned out. They might be dealing with imposter syndrome. I, I don't know if we'll accuse anybody of being psychopaths, right? But they're struggling with some things who just started to turn this around in our organization and in, in bigger companies.
1: I think it starts by really having tough conversations with your CEO and potentially enlisting the assistance of your board and driving that executive impact on culture is mission critical and we cannot solve it from the bottom up. We just can't. So so that's one thing. I think it's starting to change the conversation that the conversation is not about what the head of employee engagement, can accomplish, or the chief innovation (laughs) officer can accomplish, right? It's really looking at the very top. The other thing is, in a lot of organizations, our C-suite is not being trained. They're not getting exposure to continuing education. And when they do, they do it as a group and they do it separately from the organization as a whole. And that just reinforces having a cast system of oh, this is for us and that's for all the underlings. When we learn together, we bond, right? We grow, we uncover a lot of information that we can't otherwise have access to. So I think that's those are a couple things that, that absolutely come to mind for me. Having that be tied to performance review of the C-suite is really key too because we all know if it doesn't have a metric tied to it.
0: Right, I'm not gonna get done. No one's gonna care.
1: So getting your board and your CEO in alignment that this has to be a KPI of everyone within the organization.
0: Yeah, I agree, absolutely. And for people listening who are potentially dealing with some of that imposter syndrome, or maybe they wouldn't classify it as that, especially if you're not familiar with the term, but you've risen to a level, they've risen to a level, right? Where a lot of people are looking to them for decisions, for mentoring, whatever it is, And they're thinking, you know, I don't know how I got to this place. I'm still just figuring it out myself. I'm figuring it out every day and I'm making a lot of money. And I know that comes with a lot more pressure. I know a lot of executives are dealing with that, right? The more they're ambitious, they want the higher title and the more money. But as they get it, it's more and more pressure that, like, I cannot fail. And I felt that as well. And as I, you know, build up more around this podcast and hosting a conference later this year, the Talent Development Think Tank. And it's kind of like, who am I to do all this stuff? I feel that a little bit too. What is your advice for them? How do people deal with that?
1: Well, you brought up uh, mindfulness practices. I think that whether or not our company is forcing us to learn, I think starting to understand that most of us have some demons that are keeping us from being fully expressed and The red flags are how much energy do I have? How much anxiety do I experience? How often throughout the day do I get frustrated and angry? How often do I feel separate from the life I've built? Like there are a lot of, I am not in my flow red flags that we as a professional, even if the company hasn't said, hey, here's an executive coach or hey, everyone needs to take... A passion and purpose like workshop or something there are lots of red flags in our own hearts that are like the little knocks the nudges from the universe saying wake up something's got to shift right you are not fully here Right, And so each of us is going to express that and experience that in our own way. For some people, they get really forgetful. They start to lose productivity. For me, when I was most out of alignment, I was working for AOL and I was uh, the director of BizDev. And I started missing my stop on trains through the Northeast Corridor Mm. going to pitch clients. And it was my red flag. I was like, how did I miss? I would end up in Delaware. Yeah. When I was supposed to be in Philadelphia.
0: Maybe <laughs> like a bit of I ended up in Delaware.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my hashtag, Delaware. Right. <laughs> but things not aligning, things not going well are oftentimes a wake-up call that there's something here I need to pay attention to. And when you start to see that, it really becomes a journey in a lot of ways of do I get an executive coach? right do i it, it takes some time to learn to meditate do i go on a retreat like do i go on a volunteer project that's going to get me outside of my safe identity that i've crafted so carefully like there are a lot of ways to shake up the ecosystem and to reconnect
0: that's great we talked about a lot of things that are changing in the workplace and how people are working are there any other trends that you're following, especially that connect to talent development or employee experience or how people are working that you're seeing that are that are really changing how people work?
1: I think there's a dance right now between the digital, re- the real-time cultural surveys, like the pulse um, surveys, et cetera, and what they can bear out in terms of what's really happening within the organization. So there's that. There's a lot of discontent around great place to work. The companies want it just so they can check a box and that somehow once that box is checked, their work is over or, or that means they actually have a great place to work, which is not always the case. And employees express that like, what, this is a great place to work? So I think those are two trends I'm hearing a lot about when I speak to leaders in organizations. I think the third one though is really around How do we begin to have these conversations happen from the top, right? Which you had asked about earlier. And I think that's really the push that's happening. That HR and culture and engagement and innovation, all those pieces are not something for the CHRO. Like it's really everyone's job. And so let's step up to the plate.
0: Yeah. People development, employee experience. It is everybody, absolutely everybody's job. And if you don't do a good job with it, people are going to go somewhere else or they're just going to be unhappy and unproductive. So, so important. Tavis, do you have a book that has made a big impact on you or that you often recommend to other people?
1: I have a lot of books that have made a lot of impact on me. So, of course, *Man Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, which, stick it in your back pocket. Rilke's the Letters to a Young Poet. If you've never read it, it will absolutely make you think differently about life and work. A guy named Parker Palmer has a book called Let Your Life Speak, and this notion of what is authentic vocation, what is really your raison d'être. He's amazing at talking about it. And they're all—all all three of these are really short books. Yeah, because we all have the attention span of a flea. <laughs>
0: Right. For some say goldfish. Why don't you have a book?
1: I did write a book. Um, I wrote a book called, uh, called The Game Changers Guide to Radical Success. And I just got really busy. And so instead of even trying to sell it, I posted it on our website. If you want it, you just go in there and you click download and print. And it is free.
0: Free. No strings attached, right?
1: Yeah. I just... I don't know. I've got another book I really want to write and I just wanted it to be out there. So there it is.
0: Last question for anybody listening in talent development, looking for ways to accelerate their own career or improve overall, you know, company culture, what's one more piece of advice you would give them?
1: Go do weird stuff. (laughs) seriously, yeah. get out of your freaking echo chamber. Do not go to every SHRM, forget it. You're not going to get great new ideas there. You may stumble into some every now and then, but you need to be around people who don't think like you. They don't look like you. They don't talk like you. And they're solving different problems than you. And then you can go back to SHRM and you can go back to your local stuff. But we need cross-fertilization of experiences and ideas yep. to create the solutions that we need as companies and as people on this planet.
0: I love it. You know where people can go to, uh, to get new ideas and connect with people and, and get more innovative? Instead of the same old, regular, boring HR conference, they should check out the Talent Development Think Tank, which is my conference I'm hosting with my friend Bennett Phillips this November 6th and 7th in Sonoma, California. And it's going to be different like no other conference you've ever been to in the HR talent development space. It's going to be innovative, interactive. It's going to be awesome. You can get tickets at talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. Back to you, Tevis. Thank you for all the advice. You mentioned that you have a free book available on your website. So give us that website. Where can people go to connect with you and find out more about you?
1: Clickaroo on balanceintegration.com. I'm on Twitter, corporate yogi, and uh you can find me on Facebook. I'm not a big Insta girl. sorry, I got enough pixels already.
0: mm all right, corporate yogi that's cool i'm all i'm I am all i i do not really do Twitter. I'm all over Instagram. For anybody listening that is if you're not following on link following both of us on LinkedIn, definitely do that and if you're on Instagram, follow me on Instagram Andy Storch and if you're on Twitter, make sure you follow Chavez corporate yogi on Twitter. One more thing
1: yeah. Those articles on the Trust Barometer, if you go on the LinkedIn or on my blog, I wrote an article on those and they've got the links. So you can actually click through and just get all the data. It's It's
0: free. Awesome. We will put a link to your website and to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes so everybody can find it. Tevis, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom and insights and things that you have on the top of your mind. Definitely an interesting conversation. I hope it was valuable for our listeners. So thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Cheers. If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code hotseat for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the talent development hot seat. If you got value out of this show, please subscribe, leave a review and share with your colleagues and friends we want to spread the word and add as much value to the talent development community as possible. And we need your help. As always, you can find more information and connect with me at talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Take care.